1: Hi, I'm Jed Bodwin, and I live in Wichita, Kansas. I am a Patreon supporter for Creative Control... I discovered Creative Control some years ago, I think maybe while looking for interviews with Tommy Stinson of The Replacements. And uh, I stumbled across this conversation that Vish had with Tommy Stinson that was really insightful. Vish held his own. I think Tommy can be a little bit of a difficult interview at times. And it went really well and it really uh, got into some areas that I wasn't expecting. And I thought, gosh, I have to listen to more of this guy and his podcast. Yeah, Sometimes I'm not necessarily a fan of the music or musicians that uh, Vish will have on the show, but I always appreciate their creative process a little bit more. And uh, more times than not, though, it does lead me to uh, finding a new musical artist that I'm interested in, or to think a little bit differently about maybe some artists whose work I've overlooked. So you know, go ahead, and if you've been waiting at all to support Vish and Creative Control. Now is probably the best time to do it. I know as a public radio employee here in Kansas, listener-supported broadcasting, whether it's podcasts or radio itself, really isn't a thing of the past. It's actually very much a thing of both the present and the future. So yay vish, yay Creative Control.
2: To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash Control today. Mac McCann is a tremendously gifted and prolific musician, songwriter, singer, and record label owner based in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The lead vocalist, lyricist, and guitarist in Superchunk, McCann also makes music under both Porta and his own name, and he has scored several films. Along with his Superchunk bandmate Laura Balance, McCann founded Merge Records in 1989 which remains one of the most influential and successful independent record labels in the world. On February 25th, 2022, Merge released Wild Loneliness, the 12th album by Superchunk, but the first to feature each band member recording parts separately to abide by COVID-19 protocols. It also features many special guests, including Sharon Van Etten, Owen Pallet, Norman Blake and Raymond McGinley of Teenage Fan Club, Mike Mills of R.E.M., Andy Stack of Y Oak, and Tracy Ann Campbell of Camera Obscura, among others. Now, as I consider Wild Loneliness to be one of the best albums of the year, I reached out and invited Mac back onto this show, and we discussed things like uh, making most of this album in his basement studio, why it's primarily led so much by his acoustic guitar and some of his best singing ever, if you ask me, how and why we listen to music differently these days, certain production elements on the new album and commissioning string parts by Owen Pallett our relationships with humanity in general and how that may inform some of the lyrics on this new album. Working on music for films by the likes of Amy Poehler and Amber Tamblyn, his songwriting process generally, his opinions about Halloween future plans for Superchunk and Merge Records, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it, and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control, which is the primary source of revenue for all of the work that I put into making this show. Again, if you'd like to support it, visit patreon.com slash Control. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful independent record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and very friendly staff who will happily help you get whatever it is you need. Say you want to order yourself a copy of the new Super Chunk album, Wild Loneliness. Well, it's simple. You just head over to their website, blackbird.ca, and you can get it for yourself. It's just that simple. Again, blackbird.ca for all your Blackbird Music needs. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 738 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented Mac McCon of Super Chunk, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Mac. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. Uh, where in the world are you today? I am in the studio
3: in the basement of my house in Chapel Hill, North Carolina.
2: Oh, very nice. That it, I saw it for a second there, and it looked really nice. Uh, you, how long have you had that studio down there?
3: I've always had a studio in one room or another in my house, but when we had kids, starting while well, our oldest kid is 19 now, uh, mm. that kind of kicked me out of those rooms that were once available in the house. So we put this basement on here, I'm going to say 2008, 2009. Oh, and nice. so it's great to be able to, because before that I was just like renting a room in Carborough over our friend's bar, which was also fun and convenient, but more convenient, especially when you have little kids to not have to drive across town to go. Work when you think of a song that you want to write or whatever. So yeah, so I've had it had it for a while and um, made a few records here, written lots of songs and recorded demos mainly, but also in the last few years actually made a couple
2: records. Oh wow! Like what what kinds of records did you make? Uh, ones of your own, I assume. I mean, like, yeah. Of, so yeah,
3: yeah. for instance, you know when when we went into lockdown in early twenty twenty. Like everybody else, I had just started working on a film film score mm-hmm. for a movie called Moxie that's mm-hmm. on Netflix. Uh directed by and starring Amy Poehler.
2: Oh nice. And
3: so, you know, being able to work on that here and then I thought I was just making demos for the next super chunk record and we ended up recording the next super chunk record here. Mm. Um and I made my last couple solo albums here as well, so usually take them somewhere else to mix them or or send them off to someone to mix them just to get them out of this room uh, and have some different ears listening to them. But, um, you know, even on records like uh, Majesty Shredding, which is 2010, it's nice being able to, you know, record the basic tracks in a studio and then come here and do overdubs and, and things like that.
2: Yeah. No, that's that sounds... Amazing on several levels. The The record, the full uh, Super Chunk record that you're referring to that was made there, is that Wild Loneliness or did I miss? Yeah, that's yeah. Wild no.
3: Loneliness is the first.
2: If I'm thinking about
3: it correctly, it's really the first Super Chunk album that we didn't track altogether live, you know, the basic tracks yeah. uh, altogether live in the studio. And again, it was kind of necessitated by the pandemic and not being able to get together to rehearse or record really and so I started working on it at home like I said I kind of thought I was making demos and then realized well like who knows how long before we can go into a proper studio and and record and Hmm. uh, so Jim our guitarist and John our drummer started coming over one at a time and recording their parts I'd be sitting across the studio. We'd both be wearing masks, you know, 20 feet apart. <laughs> yeah. I'd be running the running the recording thing, and uh, they'd be playing. And we, we made the record like that, and Laura uh, has a recording situation at her house. Her husband, Luke, is an engineer. And so she could record her bass parts there. And, yeah, it's a different way for us, for sure. And I wouldn't say it's the ideal way to make a record, but... Once we were done, and we had a lot of guests play on it as well, which made it fun and different sounding. Yeah, through the magic of technology, being able to get you know teenage fan club or Sharon Benetton or whoever to play or sing on it, and then we did, as I said, send it off uh, to Wally Gagel to mix it. He's in a, he's in Los Angeles, and last time he worked on a record of ours was. Uh here's where the strings come in oh wow okay um, he he was the engineer at Fort Apache in Boston when we made that record, hmm. and so he recorded that album, and our instructions to him were basically, you know, we don't want this to sound like it was recorded in my basement, <laughs> and so uh, I think he did a great job mixing it.
2: I mean, I don't mean to disparage home recording by saying it does not sound like it was recorded. In a basement, you see where I'm coming from. There, I respect. Good, yeah, I respect yes. home recording very much, and I as I do can, I. I can tell that you've got all the good gear, like you've got a studio there. There's no doubt about it. So, uh, but there, yeah, you're right. There's a connotation, but the main thing that I'm hearing is you weren't all in the room together making a record, and so that that's very different. Do you think this will inform uh, how you move forward at all, given that uh, there? Well. Is there a lot of geographic separation? You're all pretty much in North Carolina, right? We're, we're all pretty much
3: here together yeah. and there are some great studios around here. I mean, one thing I do miss about working in the way that we did in the 90s was we got to go to other places and record. You know, we would go camp out in Chicago mm-hmm. for a week or 10 days and and record at Electrical or you know, we go somewhere that Normally, you wouldn't ever probably go spend two weeks unless you were working there. Like Bloomington, Indiana, we made indoor living there. You know, Boston, we we recorded uh, Here's Where the Strings Come In. Mm -hmm. So just getting to go to these different places and be in a different space and record in a different kind of studio, is I really enjoy that. But where we're at as a band now and everyone doing what they're doing, it's hard for people to carve out that kind of time to go make a record when... There's great studios around here, and we can just go in each day, you know, Yeah, no, and I, do it.
2: I think for those of us who are familiar with, say, uh, one person uh, layering instruments uh, uh, for a song for a, like a completely self-made record, like literally self-made, like one person, the, the logic is usually that the rhythm section uh, parts are laid down first. In fact, in my experience recording music, That's usually the thing if the bass and the drums particularly the drums are done everyone kind of breathes a sigh of relief and then you start working on the other parts you know putting them on given this what you had to deal with you were I'm sure you were sending your demos along to the others and then you were bringing them in it sounds like mostly one at a time except for Laura who was doing her own thing. Was it challenging for you to make a record in this piecemeal way? And where did you begin? Uh, was it Were people playing to your parts? Did you have to adjust your parts based on what John or Laura in particular were uh, sending you? It was challenging
3: just in the sense that, like I said, I wanted it to feel like a real record. And I wanted it to f- sound like a band playing and not something that was put together one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. I think one thing that drove the making of it as well was that the songs... So after we made What a Time to Be Alive, which was a very electric, kind of punky record. Loud. Uh, Quite a loud, a loud record. Loud. Yeah. 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 The next thing we did after that was we recorded an acoustic version of our Foolish album from 1994. Mm-hmm. We 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 did the whole record. We were still all together in the studio and playing the songs live, but we were playing on acoustic guitars and Laura was playing her bass and John was playing drums. And then we did a tour, a a little tour for that record. And and that was a really fun experience and and recording that way was really fun. So after that, I started writing songs on acoustic guitar thinking like, well, it'd be cool to make a record kind of like that, but with new songs. And so I was already heading in that direction when the pandemic hit And then it made even more sense just because, I don't know, like I can certainly write songs on electric guitar with the distortion on by myself here in the studio, but it just didn't fit the vibe of what was happening, you know, to try to create a a punky sounding record where there was this whole world on lockdown and this sense of kind of isolation. Like I think a acoustic guitars kind of lent themselves to the situation more, and that was already the direction that we were thinking about, so we just stayed with it. And it's also the first album that I only play acoustic guitar on. I play electric on a couple solos, but for the most part, I'm just playing acoustic guitar, which I think also gives the record kind of some space that a lot of our records don't have. They're very dense, usually, with electric guitars, you know. And so that feeling from making Acoustic Foolish combined with the lockdown, I feel like sent us in this direction. And then it was just a matter of, okay, well, how do we execute a record like that and make it still sound like a band playing, you know? Yeah. And not, I didn't want it to sound like demos and I didn't want it to sound, you know, like a lo-fi situation. So hmm. I had to certainly learn how to record drums in a different way than I'd really ever had to before and uh yeah so it was you know it was a it was a fun project to be able to work on and in the end i think it i think it turned out really well
2: i mean for what it's worth uh this record came out in february of 2022 as we're speaking it's november of the same year i will tell you mac uh that this is my one of my favorite albums of the year for whatever that's worth to you i think it's thank you really gorgeous i think you also know that i'm a longtime fan and uh, I'm just my my wife and I we just had it playing a lot in the lead up to this interview after listening to it over and over again when it first came out you know how things work these days you know you get a record and you listen to it a bunch and then you're supposed to move on to the next one so quickly and I, mi- yes. I miss the days of being a teenager and listening to the first Wu-Tang Clan album on repeat for an entire summer so I knew <laughs> I knew everything about it and same with Superchunk or all my favorite bands just like I miss that and I feel, I don't know if it's my age or the age we're in, but I feel like maybe we spend a little less time. Again, I don't mean to sound out of touch or a fuddy-duddy. I'm sure there's kids out there being like, what are you talking about? I listen to the same Mac Miller record 150 times, but I feel like in my job, I don't know about you, but I feel like in my job, I'm sort of forced to move through things quickly. Have your listening habits changed much as you've gotten older with the kids and the work and all that stuff?
3: Well, I think that, um, I, I share that feeling that you're talking about of, uh, I mean, for one thing, you know, when, when we were younger, just to continue sounding like another old fuddy duddy, <laughs> uh, it was, it was just much harder to get records. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like I remember, You know, I went to college in New York and like weekends were kind of like built around like, all right, we're going to go downtown. We're going to go to all these record stores. But, you know, you weren't buying like 20 records, like you were buying like three records or whatever. Yeah. And so then when you got home with those three records, you were like psyched and then you listened to them over and over again. I remember because I lived in New York, friends from North Carolina would come to New York To buy a record that they knew was only going to be available in New York because it was only going to be out on import. Mm -hmm, And that mm -hmm. if they waited for it to come to North Carolina, then they'd be waiting for weeks, but they really wanted to hear the new record by the fall or whatever. And so they would come just to buy a record, you know? And so if you're putting that much effort into something, you're going to listen to it a lot, you know? Yes. And just the fact that, you know, you couldn't immediately. Then listen to a thousand other records at your fingertips. Like, yeah. it's kind of like, well, this is what you've got in your room. You know, you got this, you got these these 50 records or these 100 records or whatever. Yeah. So I, I I also think that, and I started feeling this in, somewhat in the CD era, but certainly in streaming. You know, I think one thing that has happened to my listening habits over the last 10 years is just going back to pretty much just listening to vinyl Mm -hmm. I mean if I'm in my car obviously I'm not listening to vinyl but like at home I pretty much just listen to records and that causes me to not replicate those listening habits back then because I have way more records now than I did then but but just you know I feel like it lends to more repeated listening because like you, you bother to put this record on whether you're sitting there just listening to it or whether you're working on the computer or cooking dinner or whatever, you tend to just kind of like leave it on the turntable for a while, you know, flip it over, flip it over, flip it over. Yeah. And I feel like I hear a lot more and I absorb a lot more of something in that format. And that's just, I mean, maybe that's just me, but I feel like the format lends itself to kind of closer listening um, because it requires more effort to like put the thing on in the first place, whereas... (laughs) If you're if you've ever been in a car with a a teenager you know that like you can listen to like two and a half minutes of one song and then
2: skip to the next one if you want to and do that
3: over and over again it's just like oh my god
2: um well you're talking about so, an investment of effort time and money right I mean weirdly yeah, i oh. I share your exact sentiments if I put a record on and then I'm i I will sit and listen to it but I do get, it's weird I've put the effort into putting it on but then I get lazy. And then I just keep listening to it over and over again, but then I do spend more time processing it. Meanwhile, if I'm driving my daughter to Brownies and I've got my phone hooked up to our fancy minivan, you know, my daughter Ramona will say, can I hear, let's go, um, what's an example? Yeah, Duo Lipa, or the, her current obsession is the song Front Words by the band Pavement. Do you know that song from the watery domestic? Sure. EP? I don't know, yeah, I, yeah. I broke it out in my uh, bedtime. I go up there with a guitar and I... Sing a little lullaby. So I broke it out and she, she calls it Paris is stale. That's what she thinks it's called because that's one of the lyrics. Sure. Anyway, she's become obsessed with that. But yeah, we're driving and I just have to say, she'll be like, Papa, can you ask, can you tell the phone to play Dua Lipa or something? And I say, <laughs> yeah. Hey phone, play the thing. And then it's like, it's nothing. Like I didn't even think about it. It's, it's there. Everything's just there. And I think, yeah. I think you're right. It's changing people's, I don't know, there's less patience. Now one thing I will say in in the on the plus
3: side of that kind of listening experience or like sharing that experience with your kids or whatever yeah is that you know I, this this past summer I went on a road trip with our son who's uh, 15 and we went to Washington DC and we saw some bands and and so some of them you know he'd heard songs by them before but others he hadn't and so you know, it was really fun on the way there. You know, listening to you know songs by you know we saw we saw Nick Lowe, we saw The Damned, we saw yeah. Elvis Costello, wow, we saw Will Butler. Mm-hmm. There was like a bunch of shows happening all at once. So. We were listening to those, and we also saw this band, the Beths. That's uh, oh my I really God. like. And they're,
2: are you and they're kidding his, me? That's my new discovery. F- I love them. Yeah, I, they, they're one of his favorite bands. <laughs> they make me think of you, actually. I had them on the, had them on the show, and I invoked Superchunk. But I think they were like. Oh no offense, Mac. (laughs) I was trying to get at their influences because I'm like, I hear Superchunk, and they were like, yeah, like that. Some of that sort of indie rock. Anyway, sorry to. That's the closest I felt because I'm not still not going to shows very often. Mm. That's Mm -hmm. the the hearing the best and really digging in and getting all. I bought all their records. They showed up in the mail. I that's the I've I've related to seeing an opening band that blew me away for the first time. That level of surprise where you yeah. you go to see great. yeah i sorry to cut you off i just i'm i'm so happy that everyone's talking about the best cuz i just fell in love with them so hard to the point that i was fawning a little bit in our interview and i think they were just like i think they were a little overwhelmed i don't think they handle flattery well well i
3: bet they're i bet they're hearing <laughs> i bet they're hearing it a lot yes. and you yes. know i guess my my point about them was our son loves the best and so if you're if you're in the car and you're listening to a song by the best for instance then that will also trigger something that makes you go, "Oh, after this, we should listen to this song by x ray specs. I don't know, like you yeah, just yeah. start thinking of other other things you know that that are in the same world that oh, if you like this, then it'll be fun to listen to this, and having that convenience does allow you to do that just to kind of just like create this endless playlist, you know what I mean yeah. for better or worse yeah anyway, but my my listening habits uh during the pandemic really were. I listen to a lot of ambient music and jazz, um, mm. but again, you know, lots of records, and I, I certainly bought a lot of records online because, like a lot of people, I'm sitting home. Like, what else am I going to do?
2: Yeah, I want to get back to what we were talking about or what you were talking about in terms of the sound of wild loneliness and how it's uh, pretty much. I, I was, I didn't realize that you primarily only played acoustic guitar throughout the record I I just I wasn't sure about that fact but it definitely I hear the acoustic guitar and if it's not leading a song off then it's definitely an element that I hear and I also I observed at least particularly compared to the last super chunk record that your vocals are coming in higher in the mix hmm. I think more you know I I, I will say I, I I can hear every single word you're saying in a way that I mean it's Superchunks has it only took it only took 33 years to get there. <laughs> no, I was going to say, I was going to say for those who may not be familiar, uh Superchunks records have taken many different shapes and forms and sounds and there's clarity and there's distortion. I wondered sort of in a subtextual way or whatever, psychological way, if you felt like between the acoustic guitar and the space you were leaving and like I say the very the real clarity of your vocals if you were trying to make a point of cutting through all the noise, because there's so much misinformation, distortion in the world. And this record, to Mm. me, is it it handles um, alienation and loneliness in a really interesting and fascinating way for me that I can really relate to. And I will get into that in a moment, because I think a lot of people have been dealing with this during the pandemic, but also before the pandemic. And I will ask you about that in a moment if I think to do so. I just want to get at that production aspect that I'm just talking about. Were you conscious of this? Like, I want people to hear what I'm saying. I want people to connect uh, with the content in as direct a way as possible. That's why I've left some space. That's why maybe, maybe you don't see it this way, Mac, but I hear your vocals more clearly than some past Super Chunk Records, if that makes any sense. Can you speak to that a little
3: bit? Yeah, sure. I think that, Look, I mean, for for sure, on our first few records, the vocals are pretty buried, and a, a lot of that is, a lot of that is just uh, insecurity and just feeling like, oh, like you know, it's one of the worst things. Even if I think, for people who are really good singers is being in the studio and then the engineer just solos your vocal track and so all you're hearing is your <laughs> s- singing and your mouth sounds and stuff and it's just like it's like torture for yes. anyone I think yeah. like I said. Yeah. So in other words like you, you know when you're when you're practicing with your band when you're first starting off and you're playing shows like you can never really hear your vocals at practice and usually not at the show either right? Mm-hmm. So then you get in a studio and all of a sudden it's like whoa 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 wait a minute I can hear everything way too clearly. Um, my dumb words and my dumb voice and no uh, and so <laughs> and the other half of that is that it's an aesthetic I mean you know listening to like growing up listening to hardcore records and, and punk records and things like that that weren't on the radio the vocals are buried there was no you know what I'm saying like that, that was just yeah. part of the deal so that's why it's like that on our records but then you know you get older you get a little less Uh, Insecure, hopefully in some ways at least. And then you work with enough engineers that are like, look, the melody of the song is in the vocals. So, you know, you should be able to hear the vocals. Yeah. And then to take it even further, when, when you're making a record that sounds like this, where there's acoustic guitar instead of electric on my part, there is more space and you can just naturally hear it. And it makes more sense to hear it. You know, like, it just makes sense aesthetically with these types of songs, you know? Like, I made a playlist for the rest of the band before I even started writing most of the songs. It's like, here's what I'm imagining for this record, and it was, like, songs by Robin Hitchcock and Mm. Teenage Fan Club Mm -hmm. and Everything But The Girl and these things that are, like you can hear the vocals much more on those types of records. And so I think aesthetically it made sense. Now, conceptually, I hear what you're saying, though. I I wasn't really thinking that way, like people really need to hear my message on this record more clearly. Yeah. But I just think it made more sense for these songs and the type of setting that they're in with the acoustic guitars and things like that. I mean, the solo record that I made during the pandemic is literally called The Sound of Yourself. Yeah. And the title comes from something that Amy Rigby writes about in in her book, which is called Girl to City, and it's a memoir, Hmm. and it talks about her first recording experiences and that thing of just like, oh my gosh, like, I don't like the way I sound. (laughs) Do I sound like this? What? Yeah. And like, do you ever get used to that? Yeah. Like, are you ever comfortable with that? Yeah. And so my solo record is even more sparse, I would say, than this Super Chunk record, and so I think it just makes sense to hear the vocals, even even and part of that is maybe just like forcing yourself to just get over it, you know what I mean, just sure. get used to it, sure, and I certainly i mean it is ironic that like I like knowing the words of the my favorite songs, yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> so it's funny that then I'm just like no one can hear any of my words you know like on our first few records and of course I also love bands like REM that it's like you're always just trying to figure out what the heck he was saying you could never figure it out and there was no lyric sheets yes and so that, I think that was a part of it but anyway we've come a long way since then
2: well I'll say a few things on this one I've always loved your vocals always it's just they, they're so distinctive and I, I've always loved them distinctive is a very kind way of putting it no in. well I, but that's a hard thing to do to know your voice well enough that you can put something across in an original way so i will say that about about you and again i don't mean to overflatter you like you're in the Beths. uh but i that's what i believe but i will also say that over the years like i've heard you pushing that voice i don't want to say to new frontiers but i can hear i can hear you stretching it and going beyond maybe what people would characterize a super chunk song as like the vocal on this song on the new record set it aside i would argue is one of the most beautiful vocals that you or anyone has laid down it's really lovely oh thank you and i hear the strength in that i hear confidence in that to be like and i don't know if you feel this way about that particular song if it sticks out for you but i do think that it is a sign of someone who is comfortable in their own skin but also strong there um so I hear that more and more on on this record of, of you just you know putting it out there. I can sing and I sing well and I'm going to do different things with my voice that might surprise some people. Does that resonate with you and does that song it, stick It does out? and I think yeah. that I I think that it's important to push
3: yourself to do things that are maybe slightly uncomfortable and to try new things and I think that we always want to make records that while they sound like us, at least they'll have some moments where people are like, whoa, like I, I remember a friend of mine who was first listening to Wild Loneliness when it got to the saxophone solo on the title track.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: She said that after the saxophone solo, her kid who was in the car with her said, well, that happened. <laughs>
1: so, so uh, you know, I, I think having
3: moments where people are still surprised by a super chunk record, I think, is a, a, a good thing to shoot for. Yes. And I think the vocal on set it aside is a moment like that, which I feel like there's probably similar moments on portostatic static records where I'm yes, seeing yes. more in that style. Yes. But to put it into a super chunk setting, I think, is, is a new thing. And I feel like, again, it kind of just goes with the mood of the record. And, you know, in other words, doing it in a moment that feels natural and not, uh, you know, a forced, hey, isn't this weird? This is on a super chunk record kind of thing.
2: Yeah. You and I are both, uh, I believe fairly tremendous fans of uh, Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band who in the Rock Idiom I think um, I mean lots of people employ saxophones but I I think of them and there are some E Street Band moments on this record that I picked up on however the saxophone solo in Wild Loneliness also conjured destroyer for me do you know where the uh, notion of having a horn like that one came from for you was it just like well why not? Why can't we do this? Or was it was there something that triggered it for you?
3: I feel like there's a... Again, thinking about the playlist I made before we made this record of, like, reference points, you know, and the reference points including kind of, like, 80s pop music or indie music, you know, uh, bands like Aztec Camera or the Go-Betweens or things like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like... Uh, that would be something that would happen on one of their records, certainly on a Destroyer record, uh, recent Destroyer records as well. Yeah. Um, And the demo had a guitar solo there. But again, you know, as long as we're making a record that's kind of different for us, like, let's make it really different. Let's let's have something surprising happen there. And I like the idea of people playing stuff on instruments that's maybe not, like, their main instrument. And Andy Stack, who plays that saxophone solo, he's the drummer for Y-Oak and plays mm-hmm. keyboards and lots of other mm-hmm. things. But I knew, because he has a solo project called Joyero that we yeah. put out on Merge, I knew he could play saxophone, and he played saxophone a little bit with Lamb Chop. And he would say, oh, it's not his main instrument, but I was like, you know, that's great. Like, I think that's going to give this the... Feeling it needs, and he killed it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it sounds amazing.
2: Well, you uh, Superchunk, and the the first time I saw Superchunk was on the uh, tour uh, stop in Toronto for the album. Uh, Here's where the strings come in, and mm. um, I always loved that title. It seemed a little ironic. It seemed it was funny to me on some level. I, I don't know sure. what your int- intention was there. Yeah, my f- good friend Owen Pallett appears on your record. With strings. And uh, I couldn't, I, I'm. there's been strings, I believe, if I'm using my memory here, I don't think you've shied away from using strings on Superchunk records in the past. It's happened, right?
3: Yes. Um, <laughs> now on the record here is where the strings come in. We have a Mellotron right. playing some string sounds. And yeah. so that's one of the Places that title came from for that record. Right. But we have strings on, uh, I have strings on some porta static records and on starting, I think on uh, Come Pick Me Up, there's a bunch yes. of string arrangements that Jim O'Rourke did. On, yeah. on Here's to Shutting Up, there's strings. Yeah. So we've had them in the past. And then when we did the acoustic Foolish, Owen did some beautiful strings uh, on a couple tunes on that record. Yeah. And so on a couple songs on the new one he did as well. And on the on one of them it was like a, a melody that I kind of had and I was like, can you turn this into a string arrangement? But on the first song, City of the Dead, I was just like, I feel like this needs some strings to make it... I feel like it has some gravity already and the strings will add to that. And yeah, yeah. I feel like, you know, I just kind of said like do do whatever you want and um i think it really makes that makes that song and it's a great way to start a record when you hear those strings of owens yeah yeah he's he's amazing
2: city of the dead has gravity this night has lift the opposite i would say Uh, right and and that's owen as well and for those who don't know owen's been on the show many times i think some people will know Owen Pallett, but he's worked with uh, a billion, literally, I think, I think I counted once, it's literally a billion people. He works with lots of people, very, very <laughs> yeah. talented arranger and player. This night, again, going back to my Springsteen thing, like, to me, Latter-day Springsteen in particular employs uh, strings like, like those a little bit, uh, or Roy Batan is conjuring them uh, via his, sure. his, his, his setup there. But anyway, is that the melody you were referring to that uh, you wanted Owen to he- play?
3: Yes, like yeah. that, like the demo on this night has a guitar playing that melody. Yeah. But of course, it's much richer when there's strings and harmonies on the strings and things like that.
2: It's great. I mean, you've built this community of people in this time of isolation. I mean, some of the people you referenced who are on this record, uh, you, you have already referenced some of them, but Mike Mills from REM is also uh, singing uh, on, on a song. And you've got uh, people from Teenage Fan Clubs singing, I think, one of the best songs I've ever heard, Endless... Endless summer. I really, I love, sorry. I just, I love that song. Thank you. Yeah. So the, it's just been a, it seems like it's been a fascinating exercise for you. I was alluding earlier to the fact that I hear different kinds and modes of, of alienation that I, I can relate to personally. And I will get into that in a moment. Temporarily, we're going to start calling some of these things pandemic era records. My understanding is that some of these songs are written pre pandemic. Some of them were written, uh, during the pandemic, I guess. We're still in it. Mm -hmm. But they all relate to each other, and I think they all speak to different forms of isolation and alienation. Um, What is the sort of the ratio of pre and during the pandemic in terms of your songwriting here?
3: So, you know, we did that Acoustic Foolish tour and a a short tour of Japan uh, in the fall of 2019. And I started writing making demos for a couple songs in December and January 2019-2020 mm-hmm. and i think that the song uh highly suspect and endless summer were songs that i at least started working on and, or had had made demos of before the pandemic and you know endless summer being a climate change mm-hmm. uh song you know written on new year's day 2020 when it was like 80 degrees outside.
2: Um, <laughs> I'm I'm laughing morbidly. Sorry. I, it's not funny. Yes, yeah. Morbid laughter. Yeah. It's appropriate.
3: And so a couple of the, yeah, so there was a couple tunes. I can't remember if maybe there was one other that I had started working on beforehand. And then when lockdown happened, like I couldn't write a song to save my life. Mm-hmm. I was working on that film score that I mentioned for Moxie. Yeah. But that's different, you know, I'm not having to write words and I'm just like writing instrumental music, score music, you know. But in terms of picking up a guitar and writing a song, like I tried and I couldn't. And it took several months before I could kind of get back into that mode again.
2: Just Just to interject for a moment, when you say you couldn't, are you alluding to some measure of malaise, depression, can't do it? This is not the. This is not yeah. A, just
3: yeah. like I would try and just be like, nope, I got nothing. Like just my brain was in a different yeah place, you know. Yeah. Not not up for it. All the things. Yeah. Malaise, depression, everything. Yeah. yeah. And so then once you know once I got started again, then it felt like things were moving in the in the right direction, and and that's when we started kind of turning it into a record.
2: There was a weird thing that happened, everything kind of happened in bursts. The pandemic, uh, or rather the lockdowns started to take shape of some, they weren't really lockdowns, but the, sl- the slight slowdown that occurred between, let's say, March and May of 2020, I think was galvanizing in the sense that we all seemed to not know what was happening. So we were all in it together on s- to some extent, maybe not certain government officials, let's put it that way. But A lot of us had to be like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing. We're all going to work from home. Our kids maybe aren't going to school. We're all sharing this experience. But that dissipated. And then, as you, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, Mac, we ended up in uh, pure division. And as I'm speaking to you right now in Canada, it's very confusing. There's no mask Mm -hmm. mandates. But some people are Mm -hmm. trying to use mask mandates in schools and other places because they're seeing the writing on the wall. But there's no real decree so people feel like they can do whatever they want. When I listen to some of these songs, you mentioned Endless Summer. I also hear it in Highly Suspect. There's something else that I want to pull up here that I think proves the master's thesis I'm working on about this record. (laughs) But anyway, oh, If You're Not Dark, this is a really powerful song. These are some of the songs I relate to myself because I'm at a point where I can't believe people think and do the things they're doing right now. And I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth and I don't know if that's where you're coming from, but you just can't believe other people. And that's a different kind of alienation and isolation. I think it's not just, Mm. I'm trapped in my house. It's like when I look out into the world, there are people who act and behave and think certain things that I cannot possibly relate to condone, whatever. Am I on the right track with some of these songs? I mean, yes, it's, I mean, that's, you know,
3: I mean, to a certain extent, that's been in our records for a while, but yes. it's obviously just so much more pronounced now. And I feel like people have been given license to just be so much more terrible <laughs> in public, I guess, <laughs> yes. um, to each other. Yes. So... Yeah and I think that if you're not dark is is a little bit of a timeless song in the sense that I think kids are often encouraged to like be happy or whatever and for all kinds of various reasons like yeah. no one's happy all the time yeah. and especially now it's even It's even just harder to have a good outlook on things when you're surrounded just by such kind of selfish insanity. And Sharon Van Etten sings on If You Are Not Dark, and I think one of the... I mean, she's got an amazing voice. I love her music, and so it'd be great to have her on any song, but that song in particular, I feel like shares something with one of my favorite songs by her, 17 Hmm. which is on her last album yeah um which is an amazing song and so a a little bit like our song my gap feels weird it's Hmm. it's kind of about just like realizing that like you're older and like kids have their own thing going on on all kinds of levels you know what i mean and
2: you sorry just just to to be clear here is this an intergenerational contemplation like just so people know what i'm talking about the chorus of this song is if you're not dark at least in some little part what are you on can i have some if you're not dark i don't believe it and what i was trying to get to is that's how i feel a lot of the times when people are like hey you want to come to the sorry and this is going to make me sound like a Bummer, like in the endless summer narrator, narrator who feels like they're an endless bummer, uh whatever or whatever year round bummer. Yeah. I'm always like they're like, do you want to come to the restaurant? You want to come to the show? You want to jam? And I'm like, I don't. No, sorry, like, I don't. I'm still not. I can't. I don't think it's right to be doing that stuff. I'm sorry. And then that I feel like I'm just further alienating myself. But then I'm also like, what was the, there was a joke once uh, that I saw on Twitter. It was something like. I wouldn't want to go to a conference with people who think it's okay to go to a conference right now. You know what I mean? Right. There's this... Right. This is where I... I does that... I, I feel like you do have a positive outlook on life in many regards. I feel like I mostly try to have hope and... But it's also, I feel like I have to just sort of self-propel a little bit in a way that... Yeah. Anyway, it's... Sorry, I didn't mean to interject, but I'm just trying to relate to this bizarre... No, I think that
3: know. when I... When I you know when i when i'm talking about like kids i'm sa- i guess the fuller explanation would be like i feel like i do have a positive outlook on some level yeah. but i feel like i used to really have a positive outlook and it got burned out of me mm. by living through the bush years yes and that's only because when i was living through the nixon and the reagan years i was too young to really understand how fucked everything was mm-hmm. so i feel like it's a little bit like saying like hey there's two sides or many sides to like the equation, you know what I mean? And so I feel like to a certain extent growing up in the seventies, we were encouraged to just like, and especially the eighties, you know, speaking of Reagan, like the courage to like have a positive outlook or whatever. And it's okay to not have a positive outlook. <laughs> so I, I, I don't feel like it's just about intergenerational stuff, but I, I but I feel like it is somewhat about like, because to me, it's like, you know, it's almost like saying to your younger self, like, hey, when you start to realize, like, you know, when you're a teenager or in college or whatever, like, oh, and some people probably realize this before then. But for me, it was kind of like, wow, everything is like way more fucked than they tell tell you when you're growing up, which is probably, yes. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's good. <laughs> maybe that's like a safety thing. But at the same time, like don't lose your mind when you realize that, you know, it's okay to feel that darkness and, but not totally like succumb to it or whatever. So in some ways it's like looking back at like that or like talking to a, a kid that's maybe myself or other kids, yeah. but also it's, yeah, speaking to peers or just to myself, you know what I'm saying? Like, like you're saying, yeah. like you have those feelings now, of course, like who doesn't? I mean, how could you not? I mean like, yeah. So now I'm kind of like, how could you not go through the world full of existential dread? Well, but you know, I didn't. I didn't know that when I was twelve
2: or no. What. And I appreciate that. Where I'm also struggling, and I don't. I feel like it's informing some of your songs. Is we are in this strange age where the more informed you are, and the more you convey evidence and information, the more you are ridiculed. Like the anti-intellectual aspect of. Our current timeline is where I'm, I feel like that has been really heightened by the pandemic. Like the villains that have emerged for some people are people like your Dr. Fauci, Greta Thun, like, just like all the people who are like, here's some evidence. I don't know,
3: ignorance is like exalted and, 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 you know made into like a, a virtue and that's that's brutal
2: right so when you're singing now I'm a broken record I'm a year-round bummer but I'm not ready for an endless summer I'm not ready for an endless summer preceding that, Sorry I should read the whole thing is this the year the leaves don't lose their color and hummingbirds they don't come back to hover now i'm a broken record i'm a year round bummer who are the bummers who are the people that say uh, other people are bummers it's usually the people who don't want to hear from the Bernie Sanders or when I was a kid it was Ralph Nader just like the sorry i don't I'm Canadian but yeah. I have a real investment in truth telling uh, I like uh sorry for me also I will put you in that Camp. I'll put Ian MacKay in that camp. I'll put Kathleen Hanna in that camp. People who are telling it like it is were kind of ridiculed as a way of like coping with the facts that they were conveying, and that's happening mm-hmm. a lot right now. And that's why it's fascinating to me that a couple—not well, s-
3: just coping, not just coping, but justifying behavior.
2: Well, I think it's fear that I—I I believe most people who ridicule people like let's just p- I'll pick Fauci for example. Uh, or, again, any climate activist, is because they're actually afraid. They're afraid of that truth. I don't mean to sound like a lunatic here, but um, (laughs) I do think they're like, well, I'd rather not have to think about that. So one way I'm going to compartmentalize it is by convincing myself that person is an idiot or they're wrong. And, again, that's been happening throughout this pandemic. So I feel like we've learned a lot about human behavior stuff like i like you you're saying this is some of these themes have recurred throughout the existence of superchunk 30 odd years of songs about stuff like this but i just feel like on a mass level a lot of us are dealing with it head on because of what we've just gone through together does that make sense to you yes totally yeah anyway i have no we're not going to solve this it's just something well, i absurd. I don't think we will unfortunately <laughs> but we're supposed to be hopeful you and i we're yeah. hopeful people but it's getting harder and i hear that in these songs. Uh, I, you've mentioned Amy Poehler and Moxie a few times, and if I were a, a proper interviewer, I would have seized on that, like the fresh meat it was. Uh, what? <laughs> that sounds interesting. How did that uh, relationship come about? How did you come to work on uh, a film like that?
3: Well, I've done a f- few film scores in the past, and the last one was Paint It Black, which is a movie that Amber Tamblyn directed
2: that's really good, mm-hmm. starring... Alia Shawkat, and um,
3: the uh, for
2: people who don't know, she was she was on Arrested Development, among other things. Just want to just mention that. Yes, and
3: um, so Amy Polar, I've known through mutual friends and the comedy and music scene, going back to the '90s. And they reached out again, like right before the pandemic, to see if I'd be interested in making a score for this film. And I said yes. And the last trip that I took, I think, uh, was late January or late February, I flew out to Los Angeles to see a first cut of the movie Mm -hmm. and came home and started working on it. And then everything locked down, but the movie was already made basically. So I just kept working and the movie eventually came out during the pandemic. Um, I mean, during lockdown and um, yeah. So to me, like I love writing music, with no words so uh, (laughs) scoring films is really enjoyable and and it's and it's and it's collaborative as well you know because you're you're getting this visual and you're supposed to work with that as well as whatever ideas that they've they've told you they have for the music and then it always goes through permutations and changes as as it goes along and it's a really fun back and forth and the first film score I ever did was for Matt Bissonnette movie called Looking for Leonard, mm. Canadian director It lives in Los Angeles now, but made um, the first couple films I scored were Looking for Leonard and Who Loves the Sun, Right, both of which I'm pretty sure were filmed in Canada.
2: Mm. And so that really gave
3: me my start doing that, and I, I love doing it.
2: Does the non-lyrical music making inform your lyrical music making in the end. I imagine this all does. It's the same Mac stew, but can you think of that? Is there a direct correlation between the work you did on Moxie and maybe the work you ended up doing on Wild Loneliness in any way? I think that every time
3: I, I do
2: a project like a film
3: score, I learn a lot about arranging and using different instruments that I wouldn't you know, normally be using just writing a super chunk demo or whatever. Yeah. So,
2: sure. Like, I think I, I think I learn a lot every time I do something like that. Given the um, armchair psychoanalysis uh, I've done of where I think some of the songs on Wild Loneliness have come from for you, and again, this is just my reading of things. I think you've mostly corroborated the things I've said. So, thank you for that. But do you leave this songwriting process and the making of this record with any? greater insight into the human <laughs> condition or your relationship to humanity? um, Because I think there's a lot to chew on here, and I've only scratched the surface, but for you personally, like, is it, I don't want to say therapeutic, but do you come away being like, okay, I got that out of my system. I, I think I know what's going through my head here. Do you, do, well, do you have that?
3: I think that for me, you know, making music and, and maybe just making art in general is, I don't know about, I mean, c- certainly it's therapeutic in, in some way. I don't know that I could even identify, but I, I certainly think that especially writing lyrics, you have to get to a place for, for me that they they both make sense, but they don't make too much sense. In other words, they're not pat. You know what I mean? They're not, yeah you can throw a cliche in now and then, which is kind of, useful and fun but it can't be just too you know no one wants to hear something that they've already thought of a bajillion times yet at the same time it's good if it's relatable you know what i mean so you're kind of balancing those things yeah. and i i think that for me a lot of this record we've talked about a lot of the negative aspects of what's <laughs> happening in the world and yeah. uh, certainly that was the focus of what a time to be alive but a lot of The songs written during the pandemic for this record are about things that I'm thankful for, you know what I mean? And things that get you through a hard time, you know, your family, your friends, even just making music and, you know, the things to be to feel like, wow, I'm really lucky because I am, you know, to have these to have these things because... Certainly lockdown for me is like way easier than lockdown for a lot of people in the world. Oh yeah, there's privilege. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And and so like thinking about that and just not trying to have look, I'm fine with it being thought of as a pandemic record because we made it during the pandemic, but at the same time I didn't want it to sound like this record is about the pandemic and how hard it was for me to be in the... You know what I mean? Like, that's that would be awful. to. Who would want to listen to that more than once? You know what I mean? So you want to make every record you want to make as something that 10 or 20 years later, people will still be like, oh, yeah, I'll put that on, you know? Oh, oh, oh um, well, I
2: think there's some real, as I, I hope I've illuminated or, or pointed out, highlighted, I think really universal themes here. What I'm saying is you wrote this from your perspective, and my negative, I guess I have a negative bias, but I pick up on the same things that you're writing about and I feel the same things. I'm also trying to be positive. All, all I'm trying to say here is it feels very universal to me. You're writing from your own personal perspective, but I'm sure a hundred million people could relate to some of your sentiments here. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. If that's, if that's the case, that's great. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I, I think that most songs that become your favorite songs or that you want to listen to over and over again or that have, like, a real impact on you are songs because you can relate in some way, even if you don't know how. You know what I mean? Like, talking about your daughter listening to that Pavement song, like, I don't know what the fuck those songs are about, but, like, when I got that record, I mean, I felt a connection to those those songs, you know? And I... (laughs) I know, really didn't know what they're about, but there's certain lines and certain things that are still conveyed somehow that make you go, like, yeah, I want to hear that again. Like, I, I'm feeling that somehow. I
2: think she's responding to the melodies more than the meanings. Like, she, I, it's something going on when she – I've told her, and she knows now what the name of the song is. She's known for about a month, but she still calls it Paris' Dale. Just cause she likes maybe the way I'm singing it and she asked for it in the car, something about the sound of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think, I think you're, you're correct. And, um, I don't want to make you any more uncomfortable than I may have with all my flattery, but I know that when we love an underground, let's call like super chunk an underground artist or an underground entity, we tend to be like, this is underrated. Uh, and people are like, okay, hmm. okay. <laughs> um, that's, that's uh-huh. fine. I, Mac, have long thought of you as a very underrated everything, lyricist in particular. Let's focus on that. I get the sense that you work really hard at this. Uh, you, you seem to put a lot of time into it. I don't want to ask you flat out, do you feel like you're an underrated lyricist? But I hope to maybe just ask you a little bit about your practice. It seems to me that you mm. work really hard on this. Is that a fair a fair assessment at at it, the very least
3: you know it doesn't feel like i'm working hard on it but and and this sounds this may sound strange but like i think about it a lot mm. and like i think about it a lot often before i even start working on it at all i'll think about something a lot like i'll i'll have maybe like a line or something or a title or yeah an idea even just like a musical idea and will think about it for days or even weeks before i pick up a guitar or write anything down yeah and because i'm forgetful sometimes i'll like email myself just like a line so i'm like don't forget this you yeah. know but really i'll just like think about it a lot and then once i start working on it then i can't stop thinking about it until i finish it for lack of a better word so i i feel like the work is often just, like, the the thinking and the insomnia and the, I don't know, like, all the kind <laughs> of stuff that happens that's, like, not even when I'm actually just, like, you know, playing the guitar part I can do in a day or an hour or whatever, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's more just, like, the preparation for that and the... And, you know, frankly, like, now that we have a lot of records that we've made, more than I ever have in the past, I think, I'll, like... Try a few different approaches on a one particular song just because I'm like, does this already sound? Did we already do, do this song? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> so I'll like, maybe the chords should be like this. I'll rearrange them or I'll like start in a different spot or whatever yeah. just to make sure that I'm not repeating myself. But I mean, look, I like bands that made records that a lot of records that sound the same. If it's a good record, like I'm okay with that. Yeah. But so there is a little more thought than used to go into some aspects of it, but at the same time, I'm very aware of like losing the spontaneity, you know what I'm saying? So like, I, I try to hold on to some aspect of like, look, the first thing you do is often like the best thing. So like, don't fuck with it too much.
2: Well, I, I also, you know, you invoked Amy Poehler and you mentioned your connections to various, uh, comedy entities. And I'm familiar with this, uh, from following the band. I will also say you're very funny, and I think it's subtle often. I mentioned here's where the strings come in just made me laugh. Our friends used to be like, I think I'm hyper enough as it is. Like, that's just a funny... That's funny. That's kind of... <laughs> that's funny. a funny thing to say. And like, <laughs> you've been highly suspect of my cheerful affect. That's fu- Like on some level, I think that's just funny. So um, forgive me if it wasn't intended to be funny because I think it has a darker edge to it. But all this to say... I just appreciate you and your work and 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 the work you put into it. And I just wanted to convey that to you as a fan uh, because it really comes through on this record. Again, when I think of Endless Summer, it is a funny chorus to say, now I'm a broken record, I'm a year-round bummer, but I'm not ready for the earth to collapse. Exactly call me a nut but <laughs> it's crazy. yeah so I just think that's f-
3: well I appreciate it yeah. you've always been uh, a a great supporter of of ours and um, and other artists on Merge obviously but yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah I
2: appreciate that oh no no it's my pleasure now uh, Mac as we uh, wind down here uh, I'm sure you have lots of plans uh, coming up in terms of merge records. Um, I also want to, and I don't know what you can actually reveal at this point, but I want to give you the opportunity to talk about what maybe the new year might bring uh, some of us. Also within that, uh, any super chunk, port of static, uh, any other uh, work you're willing to talk about now, please, the floor is yours. What's kind of coming up next for you?
3: Well, we just recently put out a 7-inch, a, a um, mm-hmm. and yes, it was uh, two songs that we put out last Halloween, or <laughs> was it two Halloweens ago? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. songs that had only been available digitally that we recorded at home as kind of a blueprint for how we would make... Wild Loneliness. Mm. And so that song's called There's a Ghost, and you can listen to that. And we did a Sisters of Mercy cover on the B side. Right.
2: Um You you love Halloween. Is Halloween your favorite day of the year? Super Trunk has notoriously gone all out for Halloween. If you've got a show, you all get dressed up. There's a line here in City of the Dead. Now there's a Halloween flood. It's filling up the basement. Halloween What's going on with you and Halloween? I mean, it's fun. It's such a good
3: question because actually, I don't like Halloween. Like, I'm like if there's like if it's Halloween, I'm I'm staying home or like, I think this year, I maybe went to a hockey game or something like that. Like, Uh I I don't want to be out and around a bunch of people wearing costumes and masks. What? But I mean, if you're gonna play a show on Halloween, you kind of gotta dress up for it you sure know what i'm saying yeah but there's a lot of good songs about halloween and bands that are fun to cover for halloween yeah. so yeah. it's always been yeah it's always been kind of a fun thing for us to to put out a surprise like I don't know, misfits cover or something like that in yeah
2: halloween. um <laughs> sorry sorry for the uh, interjection i just halloween and super Chung, for me I also think it's funny that you don't really like it because I'll confess I don't like it either and I don't know what to do about it because my it's I have children they love it my wife kind of likes it and you got to go all out they do the we do the jackal lanterns all out yeah the kids yeah. it's it's just the way it is anyway sorry to interject uh, you've got the single that's that's great
3: yeah and you know there will be some stuff happening next year uh, it is the. 30th anniversary of um, On the Mouth next year, oh, so cool. that's uh, exciting. But I don't know. There's some stuff I can't talk about yet. Yes, but you'll, of course. You'll, you'll know when it happens. And then on Merge, of course, like well, we just put out the new Archers of Loaf record a couple weeks ago,
2: which amazing. is amazing, An and, incredible record. Did you know? Uh, did you know they were on the show? Uh, maybe you didn't I know did that. not know that. Yeah, we had a good so chat. The Eric's were on the show. It was very confusing to me. I've never had two people on the show oh with gosh, the same two name. Two
3: Eric's at once. Yeah,
2: I had to call. Uh, and, it was EJ Eric Johnson, and uh, yeah. I was asked to refer to Eric Bachman as Golden Throat Bachman. So that's what that's a position well, old, I was placed golden in. Golden Throat. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful record.
3: Yeah. Well, uh, and then at this on that same day, we put out a Don Richard and Spencer Zahn record called Pigments. That's really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dawn is an artist that we started working with last couple years. She's from from New Orleans, and this is like an ambient project oh. of hers. It's very different from her from her solo album that we did, which was called Second Line. And we've got a, a couple Palvo reissues that are coming out, a new Sneaks EP, Mountain Goats live stuff, a lot of stuff mm. for the end of the year actually, and then early next year. I think it's already been announced, so I can talk about the the new Fucked Up
2: album. You know what? Um, I, we'll ha- just, I have, I we'll have it. Just call one day. Yeah, I have it already because I'm a, you know, record company weasel. Uh, yeah. Record company? No, I'm not a record company weasel. I'm a music journalist weasel. So yeah, I ha- music journalist. Sorry, I have it, and it's wonderful, and it's uh, at least one song. Totally took me by surprise. I'll, I've already texted Mike Hallachuk about this, and we're going to talk. Uh, apparently, it's so good. Yeah. the Record. I love that. Uh, I love that you love fucked up. Uh, they're dear friends of mine and frequent guests of this show, so it's uh, it's nice. That's a that's a. Ni- I like yeah. all the Canadian and uh, Dan Behar's been on the show many times, so love. I, that's still one of my favorite records of this past year. You guys merge, batting a thousand. As far as I'm concerned, some of the best records of the year. Congratulations on all, on all that and thank you. Well,
3: yeah. and very different than fucked up on the same release day is a new H C McIntyre album. Oh
2: yes, I saw that. Uh,
3: yeah, called Every Acre, which is very beautiful. She. I saw her uh, last week. Uh, she played a "Get Out the Vote" event that we did. She just played it, her and a guitar player, and oh, it's nice. really amazing. She's 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 great. She just did a bunch of touring, opening for Bob Mould, which I thought was a really cool oh. pairing. Solo, each of them was solo. Oh, cool. So yeah, Heather's. Heather's great, and her her new record is beautiful.
2: Can I get my weasel chops uh, going to get that record, too? That sounds exciting. Yes. Yeah, I will work. Someone should, someone <laughs> should send that, too. I will work on that. All right, well, that's excellent. So people can learn more about uh, Merge at, uh, I'm guessing, I'm just going to riff here, mergerecords.com, probably. Sounds right. That's They can figure it out. Do you want people to follow you on any of the uh, follow or whatever? Keep tracking on any of the things that may or may not still exist by the time... This uh, episode is I don't know if Twitter is still gonna exist. I keep joking about that, but it feels more and more real. Would you like people to kind of keep track of you via social media or something, Max?
3: Sure. They can find us still on Twitter at Superchunk, but also on Instagram Mac Superchunk.
2: Okay, very nice. Now if we can go out on a song, I I alluded to the fact that this record came out in February. I don't know if I finished my thought. What I want to say to the people listening is this is definitely one of my favorite records of the year. I'm so uh, happy that uh, Mac and I got to connect about it now to remind you at the end of 2022 about these records because some of them get lost, I feel like, and all the hubbub and sometimes people make lists. I just hope that uh, people check out Wild Loneliness because it's, it's very meaningful to me. Um, anyway, Mac, if we can go out on a song from this album, uh, would you pick one for us and maybe tell us why it came to mind? Sure. Uh, let's see let's go out
3: with the title track, Wild Loneliness, which I feel like, you know, like I said, I, for me being on lockdown and everything was actually, I, I was I was lucky. And one thing that I'm lucky about is that we have some woods behind our house and I could take the dogs out for a walk and like walk in the woods. You know, I wasn't literally like stuck in an apartment building somewhere or something. Right. Um, and so there was this strange feeling though of like, being free to do that and, you know, out in nature and stuff, but at the same time, you can't really go anywhere or see anyone. And so it's, it's uh, Wild Loneliness was just the best way that I could think of to describe that, to describe that feeling. And like I said, Andy Stack from Wy Oak plays a great saxophone solo on here. And
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a great choice. And I, I will also uh, highlight, uh, not uh, everyone's playing great and all the guests are doing great. Uh, I feel like John Worster's drumming on this record as a whole is is noteworthy as well. Um, so I just want to take a second to point that out. In any case, here now the title track from this excellent new or well, it is new, the latest super Chunk record, "Wild Loneliness." Mac, this is a, a it's always always a great honor and a pleasure to get to speak with you. I thank you for this this time, and I hope we speak again. And best of luck in the future. I'm sure we will, Vish. Thank you so much.
3: When there's nowhere lap, take a hide, or shake the spider's lips. any way you like, and stripping screws, or searching the blues, and dropping the bat, wandering off into the wild.
2: Well, if you're this far, you heard me talk about how much I love this new Superchunk album, Wild Loneliness, and you got to hear the title track there. Always a, a, a tremendous thrill when I get to speak with Mac McCann. He's been a hero of mine for a long, long time. So I hope you enjoyed our very pleasant uh, conversation about him and his work and Superchunk. I really enjoyed it myself. So... Thanks again to Mac for appearing on uh, this, the 738th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you've uh, heard about and you're looking for it on your whatever it is you use and it's not there, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. You should be able to find all the things you need right there. You can also like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show on Twitter. It's still going, man! Follow the show on Twitter at Vish Creative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at Vishkana. Also, please visit Patreon.com/slash Creative Control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. That is the primary source of revenue that I receive for all of the work I put into this show. So, if you enjoy the show would like to support it financially, that's where you can do it at patreon.com slash creative control. $6 USD, $6 American or more a month grants you access to some exclusive content and uh, you get the episodes a bit earlier than everybody else. And oh, also if you're interested in receiving a creative control t-shirt from me in exchange for your $6 or more donation, message me on Patreon and I will get you a t-shirt while supplies last. Thank you. Speaking of thanks, thanks again to the excellent Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music, which you can learn more about and order things from their website there, Blackbird.ca. Also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, the bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in kind support for this show. It's been a long relationship with these businesses and I I like that it's still sort of going so thank you to all those folks and if you're in those uh, cities go check those places out thanks as always to Jim Guthrie for letting me use some music of his on the show you can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org and finally thank you for listening to this episode about Super Chunk and featuring Mac McCann and uh, go check out uh, the new Super Chunk album A Wild Loneliness and if you're not familiar with the band Dig Deep one of the best bands ever Thank you for uh, following this show or subscribing to it and telling your friends about this podcast and spreading the word about it. That means a lot. I hope you're well. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now.